So just a production note. Anna and I recorded this episode regarding next to normal before the Alice Ripley allegations had come out. And much to many people's surprise, including myself, that on TikTok and other sources have surfaced certain allegations against Alice Ripley. So when we recorded this and we were speaking about the actors involved in Next to Normal, we did not know all of this at that time. Just to go over it for people who didn't hear, uh, I'm getting my source for at least this little production note and preamble from Chris Peterson wrote an article on Onstage blog. He's the founder. He wrote it August 24th, 2021, entitled, The Alice Ripley Allegations Have Started a Needed Conversation and the Theater Community Isn't Ready. So I will also do a trigger warning for rape, sexual assault, abuse, physical and mental, emotional, verbal, child abuse, pedophilia, as mentioned. Not all the accusations cover all those things, but the conversation that these allegations have led to does require that warning of content. So a few weeks back, Tony Award-winning actress Alice Ripley was accused of, quote, grooming by a group of fans who she interacted with when they were teenagers. And the majority of the interactions took place while Ripley was performing in the Broadway and National Tour productions of Next to Normal. And you can always look up the Daily Beast and other articles that cover the accusations in detail. But it's important that some of these aspects be brought up. Uh, I also echo what Chris is writing here, that it's clear that these accusations have kick-started a conversation about theater artists and how they interact with their fans and vice versa. There needs to be solutions and action plans that result from these conversations. Over the past week, Chris took a hard look at every accusation that was raised against Ripley. He spoke to over a dozen people, some that had brought forth some accusations against Ripley and also witnesses. And then also defenders of Ripley who don't believe a shred of what's been said about her. He spoke to trained medical professionals when it came to abuse and grooming, and finally reached out to Alice Ripley, but no response was given to that request. I like what Chris writes here, that he found it important to reach out to everyone because it's such a sensitive issue, and it deserves research. Because comments on social media aren't performing due diligence. They're just discussing and sometimes diminishing what young people are saying. It's, it's really hard for victims in this industry, Chris adds, to be believed by the industry. So we should start with the term grooming. And Chris and I, Richard, are both not professionals, as I'm relating some of his blog piece and talking about the Alice Ripley allegations as a whole. Neither of us are trained professionals in this area, simply passing on the research that Chris did and that I'm reading from his article. In the initial accusations against Ripley, she was accused of grooming, which is a term commonly used for manipulative behaviors that abusers use to gain access to potential victims, coerce them to agree with the abuse, 
and reduce the risk of being caught. It's a tool commonly used by sexual abusers, and since none of Ripley's accusers were accusing her of physical and sexual abuse of that nature, people were quick to invalidate their use of the word grooming. But it's important to know that while grooming is a tool that sexual abusers do use, in the end it's simply a tool not exclusive to sexual abuse. It can be used to gain any sort of advantage over a victim. Often those use it to gain the trust of potential victims through attention, sharing secrets, and other means to make them feel like they have a caring relationship and try to train them to keep that relationship a secret. Discussed in this article and many articles of the day, of this day, are Alice Ripley. Did she allegedly groom these young people in hopes of sexually abusing them? It doesn't appear that way. Did she apparently use the tool of grooming for other purposes with these fans? It would be an entirely different discussion and that more falls in line with the accusations are bringing up. So Chris in this article again is adamantly discussing what are the lines we draw with our Broadway performers. Back before COVID, we used to go backstage and talk to them and get their autographs. Alice Ripley admits to at times taking photos or having contact information with fans and receiving that adoration and, you know, maybe returning some of the mutual adoration back at the fans. But where these accusers are coming against Alice Ripley, they were minors, they were young fans, usually women, usually of the queer community, and they were reaching out for a mother figure or an advisor or a confidant. And they do think that Alice Ripley may have crossed some lines in having these relationships and conversations with young people, especially people that looked up to her. And so in that case, she might have been seen as a person of authority figure in their lives. The reason I bring this up is because this all came out very shortly after we recorded our episode about Next to Normal, a play, a musical that I've been so enchanted by, but it just brings up the fact that sometimes the art we consume have portrayals of artists that are, um, you know, mixed up in other things that we don't condone. And especially, even though we don't have all the information now, I can at least say that I do not condone those inappropriate relationships that Alice Ripley probably had with these victims. And what they've alleged happened would be not great behavior becoming of a, a performer in the arts. And that's where the conversation that Chris says we need to open up. Alice admits, oh, you know, might have grabbed food with a fan before, invited them backstage to see my dressing room, gave them autographs and stuff. So maybe lines do need to be drawn. And it would be sad to lose that. But with COVID, we have lost fan interactions with their favorite Broadway stars anyway. And maybe that's for good reason, because maybe it truly is inappropriate to have fans go backstage where there's not parental guidance, especially if they're minors, or witnesses if they're not minors for things that are not, not good to happen. Like any act could happen behind a closed dressing room door, and it, it could lead to other issues in the community. Anyway just some thoughts and uh, I had a hard time myself articulating what I thought about everything in this case um, that was brought up on TikTok and now Facebook and Twitter and the internet as a whole. 
But once again, that's Chris Peterson on stage, blog founder, just took some of the words and thoughts right out of my mouth and did the research at least to try to formulate some opinions about what the Broadway theater community does need to do, that Alice Ripley has allegations and it started this needed conversation about appropriate interaction with fans. Sorry to start this podcast on on a downer, but I have to be full, fully honest and transparent that we did pre-record this episode and now have new knowledge directly behind the scenes of Next to Normal. Unfortunately, it was during the time that she was in the show where these fans had interactions with her that seemed manipulative and seemed inappropriate. So, without further ado, I'm going to sing the closing number of Next to Normal to kind of share some light. And, you know, I, I do think it's important to believe victims of situations and not stand by, even if it's a famous person that's been accused of wrongdoing. And so that's where I stand. And I hope that there is light at the end of the tunnel for everyone involved, especially the ones that were affected very negatively, uh, the victims of this alleged misconduct. And let there be light. We need some light First of all, we need some light You can't sit here in the dark And all alone It's a sorry sight It's just you and me We'll live, you'll see Night after night We'd sit and wait for the morning light But we've waited far too long For all that's wrong To be made right Day after day Wishing all our cares away Trying to fight the things we feel But some hurts never heal Some ghosts are never gone But we go on We still go on And you find some way to survive And you find out you don't have to be happy at all To be happy you're alive Day after day Give me clouds and rain and gray Give me pain if that's what's real It's the price we pay to feel The price of love is lost 
but still we pay. We love anyway. And when the night has finally gone, and when we see the new day dawn, we wonder how we wandered for so long, so blind. The wasted world we thought we knew The light will make it look brand new So let it Let it Shine, shine, shine Day after day We find the will to find our way knowing that the darkest skies will someday see the sun when our long night is done there will be light there will be light when we open up our light Sons and daughters, husbands, wives can fight that fight. There will be light, there will be light, there will be light, there will be Welcome back to the Broadway Baby and the Musical Maniac. I'm Richard, and with me is Anna. Hi. I like to do all the very podcasty things, like waving silently, just so <laughs> everyone is aware that I'm here now. <laughs> You're here. Well, and I found the lyrics that I had written for that song that I lost last time. So I'm going to try to sing it correctly this time. But if it doesn't work, then whatever rendition you do is fine. That's right. Right. Then that's our new theme song every week. Whatever you do. <laughs> that's, that's about right. She's just a Broadway baby. And he's a musical maniac. Each episode they sit right back and watch a new show. The Broadway baby gets to learn the Broadway ropes. The musical maniac hopes she'll be in the know. Gee, we'd like to be not watching TV but seeing live shows for now. We'll do our best to see what's left until Broadway opens. Be change for now, maybe. The Broadway babe can learn a lot. Taking what the maniacs got. Watching the recordings, doing research every morning on our Broadway podcast show. Yeah. 
would say better than before. Now, last week or last time we talked about Oklahoma, but we switched out for something a little more modern and we landed upon next to normal. First of all, before I get into the history background, was this something you enjoyed? It was something I enjoyed very much. I had no idea going in what to expect or what it was. I don't even know if I've heard of it. Maybe heard of it, but never knew like the plot or anything. So it was a nice little surprise. I'm glad to hear that it was a pleasant surprise and also (laughs) that you enjoyed it. And also that you kind of went in blind because I think sometimes that's a good way to do it. Don't do too much research ahead of time. Watch it, see how you feel, see how you like it, and then go from there. I agree. Some research. I just got this all from Wikipedia because they had a nice little write-up. So I'm just crediting those people, viewers like you and supporters like you, that probably put in all that information to Wikipedia because it's outsourced. It's what is it, you know, us, people-sourced. Is that what Wikipedia is? Yeah, crowdsourced. I think so. That's right. We are the crowd. So, Next to Normal is a 2008 American rock musical with book and lyrics by Brian Yorkey and music by Tom Kitt. What's very interesting is I think it's Brian Yorkey. I think both of them really went to school there, maybe Master of Fine Arts in musical theater in Seattle. So, when they first wrote this play, it was called Feeling Electric. And it was written maybe as like their final project. And they wrote a lot of the different songs back then and kind of had a workshop of feeling electric. And it was in the Seattle area that they based it in. In fact, they say that Diana, Dan, Natalie, Gabe all live in that house. All live in that house that is um, in Seattle. Okay. And and I don't know if you could tell through just the different things that he was carrying to go to work, what his job was. I've seen the show a lot live and then, of course, I've been obsessed with it since I first found out about it. So through research and then just even walking up to the stage and seeing the set, that little set piece that starts the show with a chair and a desk and a lamp and some books on it. Um, I think it starts the show with Diana Goodman is there and she's uh, sitting at that desk and at the end Dan is sitting there at that desk so it's kind of every time I watch it I think of different things and I'm like oh it starts with Diana there and then it ends with Dan there Uh, but those books they're all architecture books and there's a scene in there where they do a flashback where you see her and he meeting on a campus. And I guess they both might have been going to school for architecture is what I gather. And so they were, they met at the, you know, architecture program at whatever school they were going to. And, you know, got, she got pregnant unexpectedly and they got married probably unexpectedly. And that's how they began life. And we find out in the play, they eloped in Oregon Portland. I mean, Portland, mom, you. <laughs> They're very Pacific Northwest people, 
and it takes place in Seattle and it started in Seattle at this workshop. So that's a long way around just to say that that's where these artists kind of started this show and it became a little pet project to get to Broadway from there. (laughs) There's like, there's like, if you go on YouTube, you can look up feeling electric original uh, workshop songs. And I think that was back in 2002. So that gives you a scope of how long it takes to get to Broadway. Kind of similar to in the Heights. Is it mostly the same, like the feeling electric or has it evolved quite a bit? From that workshop where the music that the, that you can listen to on YouTube, that's very similar. They do change a lot of lyrics, but a lot of the songs are still there, and they do make cuts on the music, too. There's also on YouTube, you can watch the Earl, the off-Broadway version of the play, and the words are different, and then the songs, they cut some of them out. Okay. So it's interesting to see the evolution but also, you might recognize Brian Yorkie's name. He was a writer, maybe even the head writer on 13 Reasons Why on Netflix. Anyway. You can watch it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very similar in its um, material because that deals with suicide. It deals with depression. It deals with drug abuse. Anyway, a lot of things that you can see in this musical that tv show mimics in a high school setting versus this is a family setting but i will tell you the description on wikipedia the story centers on a mother who struggles with worsening bipolar disorder and the effects that managing her illness has on her family the musical addresses grief depression suicide ideation drug abuse ethics in modern psychiatry and the underbelly of the suburban life. Does that pretty much describe it? Yeah. Nice and concise description of it. Very good. Exactly. So before its off-Broadway debut, Next to Normal received several workshop performances and won the Outer Critics Circle Award for Outstanding New Score and received a Drama Desk Award nomination for Outstanding Actress in Alice Ripley. Now you saw Alice Ripley. She plays Diana. The show, after its off-Broadway run, it played from 2008 to 2009 at the Arena Stage Theater in D.C. area, so technically Virginia. So I knew that this play, Next to Normal, started at the Arena Stage Theater. So when my friend and I were dropping off someone at the airport in D.C., I was like, Oh, while we're in town, we should see a play. And this was a few years later, mind you, like 2014 or 15. The point is, with that sight unseen, we were like, let's just go to the Arena Stage Theater, see if there's a play. There was a play. And we got tickets for it. And we watched it. And that little show, that little program, was called (laughs) Dear Evan Hansen. So... I think it's funny that Next to Normal inspired me to go to that specific theater. And then they had Dear Evan Hansen, which also transferred to Broadway. And it's a very similar storyline slash feel to it. Like it's a modern rock musical dealing with maybe on the outside, always looking in kind of what is that social anxiety and like also suicide ideation and different things. So I just thought it was funny that we discovered a brand new play that now is hella popular and i'm just trying to shout out that i saw it before 
I even knew what it was. <laughs> so hipster, hipster. But I haven't seen that one either. Well, it'll be on our list because um, there is a Dear Evan Hansen movie coming out. I don't know if we watch that or if we watch the Broadway show or if we watch a little bit of both. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it is Ben Platt is in that one. If you remember him from most famous for what? Pitch Perfect. He's the magician guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love him. Yeah. So when I saw the poster, I'm like, oh, that's that guy from Pitch Perfect. Little did I know he's a famous Broadway star now. So then finally, the musical opened on Broadway, April 2009. It was nominated for 11 Tony Awards that year. It won three Best Original Score, Best Orchestration, and Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical for Alice Ripley. So that's how I discovered Next to Normal the first time, is I was watching the Tony Awards, and they had a, a clip of Aaron Tveit singing, I'm alive, I'm alive, I am so alive, I'm alive. Then they had the scene with Dan and Diana singing, You don't know, you don't know what it is that you don't know. And he's like, Can I touch you? We've been fine for so long now. And then Gabe is like, I am the one who loves you. I am the one who cares. It's that whole kitchen scene. She throws the silverware on the floor and mm -hmm. it's dramatic. And that's also right after the re the reveal which we'll probably get into it's spoiler alert watch next to normal in some way shape or fashion before listening to what we're talking about because we're going to go into like heavy plot points that i was spoiled on before i got to see it live because i didn't know when i was doing the wikipedia research back in the day i was just so into the show after seeing the tony awards i'm like i must get the soundtrack i must read the Wikipedia even back then and I got spoiled but it was still shocking probably as shocking as it was watching it where you're like what what's going on we read that and we were like oh oh my gosh this play got deep <laughs> so I'll just say that it also won the 2010 Pulitzer Prize for drama becoming the eighth musical in history to receive that honor in awarding the prize to Kit and Yorkie, the Pulitzer Board called the show a powerful rock musical that grapples with mental illness, a suburban family, and expands the scope of the subject matter for musicals. And then, this is notable, the first U.S. tour launched November 2010 with Alice Ripley reprising her role that she did on Broadway, and the tour concluded July 2011. And I'll tell you, I saw that Broadway tour in LA, in Seattle twice, and in DC. So I saw this performance four times on the road, seeing the same mm -hmm. actors. Only one time Alice Ripley wasn't in it, and it was her understudy Pearl Sun, who was excellent, by the way. And I don't to think be I've ever seen that many shows of one run. So that's yeah, great. I kind of felt like a groupie, and then like I'd go backstage. <laughs> and talk to the cast after each performance, and they started remembering me, which was kind mm -hmm. of like, ah, starstruck. Like one guy, he had been a student at BYU, and he graduated and then got the role of Henry in the tour, and his name is Preston Sadler. And at, by the time I saw the show for the fourth time, he's like, Richard Templeton, right? And I'm like, close mm -hmm. enough, you know? 
Templeman, <laughs> Templeton. But I'm just surprised he remembered my name at all. I was like, it's mm-hmm. so fun to be a groupie. But Alice Ripley <laughs> notably never came out uh, backstage. I, she, her voice was pretty much shot after doing the show on Broadway for a couple right. years and then doing it on tour for another year. So she was trying to keep her voice as healthy as possible by doing a physically and emotionally demanding role such as Diana. And she was great to watch. When I saw it the first time, we were front row and her tears were like projectile tears out of her eyes <laughs> because it was she was crying and then shaking her head and they were just like shooting out of her eyes. So it was nice to see a close-up shot, you know, in real life of the actor performing and the emotions. Uh, also notably, on one of my flights, uh, J. Robert Spencer, who played Dan, the dad, was on my flight, and I was freaking starstruck. And and no one else knew who he was. Exactly, because that's how <laughs> Broadway stars are. They blend yeah. in. No one knows how famous they are, but I know how famous they are and how cool I think they are. So. We talked for probably a half hour of shooting the breeze about Broadway, what he's doing now. He was also one of the original Jersey Boys, so he actually tours with a Jersey Boys tribute show. And I, he was going to come to Seattle area, and I was going to go, but then I look at the tickets, and they were like hundreds of dollars, and I'm like, ah, I could see him on Broadway for cheaper, but... He was actually flying from Jersey to Seattle and then on to Portland because he had just bought a house in Medford with his wife. And so he told me all that. And then I asked a question, and I kid you not, he finished the question before I could spit it out. I said, how was it? And he goes, working with Alice Ripley? (laughs) And I was like, yes, that's what I was going to ask. And he said, well, she is intense and she's very into character. There were times that she was like, you know, smacking him around on stage and she was getting into the part so realistically Mm -hmm. that he had to like stink eye her a little bit and go, Alice, be grounded. Don't actually Mm. hurt me. You know, just saying that she was so into being Diana that she would get lost in the character, which he's not saying is bad, but he would would draw a line like, hey, let's not cross this boundary. But She, if you look at her YouTube channel, we were fascinated with her back in the day. She would film herself in her dressing room going, peppermint twist, twist, peppermint twist, peppermint twist, and doing weird like viral videos way back before YouTube was huge. It was still very mm-hmm. infant. Put a little more mascara on, and all your wishes come true, and your troubles are gone. He also commented about Aaron Tveit, who plays Gabe in Next to Normal, because at that time he had just done Grease Live. Do you remember with Vanessa Hudgens and? Oh yeah. What's her name? Juliana Huff. Huff. Yeah. So he played Danny. Or something like that. Yeah. Danny Zuko <laughs> with Julianne Huff as oh, okay. Sandy. And then Vanessa Hudgens as Rizzo. Anyway, 
he's like, oh my gosh, my kids are going to watch Grease and they're going to see Aaron Tveit, my co-star from Next to Normal, and they're going to see him as like John Travolta, how I grew up watching John Travolta. And it, and mm-hmm. he just like shot a email to Aaron right before he went on and he's like, you know, break a leg, uh, you know, you're going to be an inspiration to my kids, just like the Grease that I grew up with was, you know, every generation has their Grease stars. And Aaron Gervais was like, thank you so much, right before he went on live. And and then Jay Robert Sosa was like, that's cool. He, that's cool that he emailed me back. So they keep in touch and they email each other. And uh, if, also, if you go on YouTube, this is all diving really deep. Stars, uh, stars in the House COVID special reunion where Seth Radisky and his husband do, did a lot of Broadway reunion shows during the pandemic to raise money for equity and Broadway fund. They did a reunion there, and that's fascinating. And some of the stories that J. Robert Spencer had already told me on the airplane, he was telling on YouTube, and I'm like, well, I got the scoop. He already told me in person. <laughs> so that's, that's just to say I'm pretty obsessed with this show. It's kind of one of my favorites, and I've been following it for all these years. Every time I see it not on Broadway or as the Broadway production, I'm not quite as impressed because it's hard for community theater to like go where this play goes. A lot of the stars from Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway and on the tour did a mini revival of this at the Kennedy Center in DC, February 2020. And that was the last live Broadway show I saw. So I got to see Next to Normal with some really cool performers like the mom from Dear Evan Hansen plays the mom in Next to Normal, the live version of Jesus Christ Superstar when it aired on television, the standout performers. That wasn't John Legend, but the other guy, his name is escaping right now, but he played the dad. And then they had two kids that I think were relatively new to Broadway, but the boy who played Dear Evan Hansen on tour was Henry and the doctor was one of the dads from Dear Evan Hansen. So it kind of was like a Dear Evan Hansen reunion. But they did the staging and the pretty much everything from the Broadway version, like the choreography, the stage, the set pieces. The only thing that was different is like they didn't put the eyes on the set. It was just the metal bits of the set as if they still had it in storage. They're like, oh, we could build this again. And they just kind of stripped down like all the eyes and the different designs. So it was lights and metal scaffolding and everything else was basically the same other than they switched out the actors. And it was more diverse where Dan was black and his kids were biracial because Diana was played by a white woman. And so that was the first time I had seen more diversity in the cast. The only time I had seen it really before was when they subbed out the doctor in Seattle with a black guy playing the doctor. So it was cool for me to see that too, because LA, it was just the white guy that plays the doctor. Seattle, I got to see twice with the black guy doctor. I'm like, oh, you know, adding diversity into the cast is not a bad idea. Where in 2020, they they added three people of color instead of just one. Yeah. Yeah. So they're becoming more progressive with it as they go. There's no reason that it could be colorblind because also Pearl Sun, right. Pearl Sun was the understudy of Alice Ripley on the tour. She is Asian. And so mm-hmm. 
it didn't to me it doesn't matter oh my I'm, I right. wa- I wasn't taken out of it like oh no an Asian m- mom right. with a white dad and the kids are probably look you know looking more white than anything but right. that didn't take me out at all because as a performer right. it didn't matter she's saying so beautifully well, there's so many mixed families of like you don't know like what marriage those kids came from yeah. or they could be adopted like you don't know it doesn't and it doesn't matter right it doesn't matter for like the production it doesn't matter if that mom is their stepmom or adopted mom like that doesn't even matter and not so, at all yeah i agree they could be whatever race they fucking yeah. want i mean sometimes they call that colorblind casting i think like you say just don't be so binary with your casting choices right yeah you don't have to think of it as being blind to color because i think talent is more important for sure and, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And there's been so many years where every role, like we said with the Lin Manuel Miranda musical In the Heights, there's been so many years where they don't even write characters that could be represented by a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. So at this point, if you find a play that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Yep. Uh, for sure. Yeah. So that's my close and personal history with the play, with the musical itself. I was going to ask you if you had any favorite songs that stuck out to you from the musical. Oh, um, I mean, at this point, I watched it like a week ago. <laughs> right. So it's all um, sunk in as one. It's all kind of a blur. Also, quite a week. Oh, no. Also, the <laughs> the musical is pretty much sung through. There's not a lot of dialogue right. outside the singing so they all kind of string together like this rock opera mm-hmm. one of the famous songs from the musical i miss the mountains it's at this point that diana at the beginning of the play just to do a quick synopsis they're talking about how they're the perfect loving family so adoring and i love them every day of every week so my son's a little shit my husband's boring and my daughter, though a genius, is a freak. Still, I help them love each other. Father, brother, sister, mother, cheek to cheek. But then it starts out saying, like, we're fine. We're a little fucked up, but we're fine. Then it ends in a spiral where it's like a whole manic episode, I want to say, with Diana. I don't know if that's the proper terms we use nowadays, but it's where her bipolar disorder kicked in into high gear, and she did act in a mat manic manner where she wanted to get ahead on lunches so she started making a million sandwiches on the floor and they're like "Uh uh-oh something's happening we'll get you in to see the doctor so that's how the play starts it's like an episode or a manifestation of her bipolar disorder has come back and they imply that it's been there before then they go to the psychopharmacologist and they do their little dance and they try to figure out how to medicate her properly. And at the very end of that song, she's like, I don't feel anything. And then the doctor goes, patient stable. So now her feelings are gone. And then when she sees her daughter starting to date Henry, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm disconnected from my daughter and my family. And she's talking to her teenage son too saying what what have i missed and 
he's like, you miss a lot, mom, okay? And that's where we sing. So I'll try to pull up. I miss the mountains. All right, here's the intro playing. There was a time when I flew higher. There was a time the wild girl running free would be me. Now I see her feel the fire. Now I know she needs me there to share. I'm nowhere. All these blank and tranquil years. Seems they've dried up all my tears. And while she runs free and fast, seems my wild days are past. But I, I miss the mountains. I miss the dizzy heights All the manic magic days And the dark depressing nights I miss the mountains I miss the highs and lows All the climbing, all the falling all the while the wild wind blows Stinging you with snow And soaking you with rain I, I miss the mountains I miss the pain Mountains make you crazy Hear it safe and sound My mind is somewhere hazy my feet are on the ground. Everything is balanced here and on an even keel. Everything is perfect. Nothing's real. Nothing's real. And I the mountains I miss the lonely climb wandering through the wilderness and spending all my time where the air is clear and cuts you like a knife I miss the mountains I, I miss the mountains I miss my life I miss my life Thank you. So it's at this point in the musical, she's singing about missing the highs and lows, 
In the meantime, during this song, she's pouring all her prescriptions in a trash can that she flushes down the toilet. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that with your prescription. No, it's <laughs> no, that's expensive. And also, if you it's bad for the it's bad for the fish. It's bad for the fish. Her little joke later is, we have the happiest septic tank on the block. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's also Natalie. So like while Dan and Diane are figuring out her mental illness, Natalie is navigating being a teenage girl, dealing with her mom in this situation, and also finding love, question mark, with Henry. What did you think of all that? Um, I don't know. I don't know my thoughts. Um, my thoughts are all kind of a blur at this point. I don't know. I guess I didn't think about that part. <laughs> Well, like your brother, the whole brother, that whole plot line is like, I just kept following that. Like That's wild, right? The big, reveal, the big reveal of that. I just followed. I was like waiting for the brother to come back. Like the whole musical. And I was like, let's just listen to just the lyrics of the songs that include the brother. Yeah, of course. Um, that was my focus. Yeah, totally. I feel like if I went back and watched it, I would focus on something different. Well, and I've, all, a lot going on. I've only seen it like a thousand times. <laughs> Like four times live on stage, but countless times on video and listening to the soundtrack. So, so I'm not saying that I'm the musical maniac, but (laughs) but you're not not saying that. I'm not not saying that. (laughs) There, the 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 reveal. I think we should talk about it. I'm I'm trying to think of what he sings. The whole musical is she's on she's she's dumped her medication down the toilet. And there's this whole scene where Dan thinks it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be G O O D good. It's going to be good. Uh-huh. It's going to be good. 2 weeks and it's all working like the way I know it should. And he's thinking everything's great, but then he's calling his wife from work and she's like, "Uh, I've started doing a decoupage and I've been cleaning all, all surfaces in the house. And I think next I'll, I'll retile the roof. You know, she's going at a hundred miles per hour. So obviously quitting the medication has increased her ups and downs and she's on an up right now. She's like, gotta go, gotta clean the house. Gotta, gotta get going. And then Henry comes over, the, the dad kind of forces him to stay and they're making dinner and they're going to have dinner like a happy family should. And then, out of the blue, she goes, and you know, you've seen through the play, you've seen Dan, you've seen Diana, you've seen their older son, Gabe, and you've seen their younger teenage daughter, Natalie. The whole play. Nothing <laughs> too screwy going on. So they sit down for dinner. You know, Gabe helps set the table. Everyone's, you know, doing their part. And she walks out of the room and they're like, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And she goes, it's somebody's birthday. Day. And then Henry goes, Oh, whose birthday is it? And then Natalie goes, My brother's. And he goes, I didn't know you had a brother. And then she said, I don't. He died before I was born. And then you're like, What the F? Right. Because I know this character. Yeah. <laughs> we have had this character since the beginning. Yeah, we've been watching him. He's been singing, he's been right. there. And he's been a part of the family. He's been interacting. And then you realize that it was a mind fuck, kind of, because mm-hmm. 
he was only interacting with Diana. He was talking but to you other. You wouldn't think about that. You would never think about that. Out this information. Yeah, that he was talking to the other characters, but they just didn't respond to him. But you'd never notice because it seemed pretty natural. His appearance mm-hmm. is everything. So you had no idea that he's more of a an extreme loss inside Diana that she fills the gap sometimes with the actual image of him being alive and never have died. Mm-hmm. So and having aged as he normally would have. Yeah. Yeah, because he's almost 18. Mm-hmm. He says, come on, mom, I'm almost 18. And then, you know, he says things like, you don't even know what I do all day. And she's like jazz band before school, key club, football practice after school. And she's made up this whole history. Life. Life, yeah. yeah. Because she misses him so profoundly. There's a lot of mention in this musical that extreme and severe grief should, after three months, feel better. And she's like, how can you put a time limit on extreme and profound grief? Like, that doesn't make sense. Also, they talk about her diagnosis. She's like, you know, I was diagnosed with bipolar, but that didn't cover everything. You know, there's lots of issues post-traumatic, or what is it? Yeah, PTSD, but also postpartum depression from both babies. And I mean, it's sad. And, And it shows Natalie in a compromising position because she was like the let's have a quick fix baby because we lost one but it never she never fixed them and she never even knew her older brother and yet has to live with the consequences of him being gone and so that so after diana is like what's going on what are you guys talking about there's no brother what you guys are what and then dan sings this song it's a sad little song Oh my gosh, this is a part in the musical that if you're shocked, you kind of start crying in the audience where he's like, He's not here, he's not here, love, I know you know. Do you feel he's still real, love? It's just not so Why is it you still believe? Do you feel or do you see? You've got to let him go He's been dead not here and then natalie's like this is fucked and he goes language she's like this is fucked oh (laughs) and actually that's what scene leads into the tony award performance he's saying diana what's wrong it was working what about the medication she's like i flushed it all down the toilet it's like it was working and she's like it wasn't really i get where i without having experienced her exact situation i i've heard countless times plus you know in my short history of just sometimes taking medication for depression and stuff 
some people, especially with this particular set of disorders, uh, the medication, it kind of puts the highs and lows at a medium. And if you're used to highs and lows, that's like stifling your personality. And I feel like that's what Diana is saying. She's like, it wasn't working. I wasn't me. I don't, I don't, right. I don't buy this at all. Right. But her family not experiencing the lows probably was like, it's working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Do you wake up in the morning and need help to lift your head? Do you read obituaries and feel jealous of the dead? It's like living on a cliffside, not knowing when you'll dive. Do you know, do you know what it's like to die alive? When a world that once had color fades to white and gray and black. When tomorrow terrifies you, but you'll die if you look back. You don't know, I know you don't know. You say that you're hurting, it sure doesn't show You don't know, it lays me so low When you say let go, and I say You don't know The sensation that you're screaming But you never make a sound or the feeling that you're falling, but you never hit the ground. It just keeps on rushing at you day by day by day by day. Do you know, do you know what it's like to live that way? Like a refugee, a fugitive, forever on the run. If it gets me, it will kill me, and I don't know what I've done. And anyway. So good. Thanks. Yeah, so she, good. she's singing that. And that's what leads into Dan saying, you've been fine for so long. How could I not have known it got this bad? So it's this whole family affair of like, basically what ends up in act, the end of act one is, oh my gosh, there's a lot to cover here. She's trying to go to a different analyst, a different therapist, I think, because Mm -hmm. the first one was, more concentrating on healing with medication. The other one is like off the beaten path. Like, let's try Mm -hmm. hypnosis. Let's try confronting your grief. Let's try these ways to fix what we can. Because she was, she was saying too in the play that what if the, the cut, the bruise, the break was never in my brain or in my heart, but in my very soul. So she's like, it's not something that I can fix with my brain. It's not even something I can fix with my heart. It's somewhere deep, deep inside that I can't even fix it. So probably another tear-jerking moment is when Gabe comes dressed in his white tuxedo, and he's like, there's a world, there's a world out there, a place we can share where the pain will go away. There's a world where we can be free. Come with me. Come with me. There's a world where we can be free. Come with me. And we find out that that little allegory of a scene we're watching is her attempting suicide. And so then she lands in the hospital, and the doctor's like, sometimes people 
get well enough where they have enough chutzpah to commit suicide, but not enough in them to stop themselves from doing it, like attempting it. And then Dan's like, well, that's fucked. And he goes, yeah. It's like, we might want to move on to an even more radical solution for this situation. ECT electroshock therapy. And then it becomes Diana going, didn't I see this movie with McMurphy and the nurse? That hospital was scary, but this cuckoo's nest is worse. Boom, boom. So she's like, I'm walking out. I, I, I did see this movie and I'm walking out. I'm walking. Dan swoops in and then he's like, and I sang this song in college for like my musical theater class. Um, but I think I was still too young to like really perform it well, but it was basically Dan going, one light shines in the drive, one single sign that our house is alive, you know, so take this chance. It may be our last to be free to let go of the past and to try as husband and wife to let love never die or we just live our lives. And basically he signs the paperwork. He gets her to sign the paperwork and then off to act two where she's having electroshock therapy while her daughter through Henry was introduced to marijuana. But then he kind of hinted at the fact that a lot of modern day children are raiding their parents' medicine cabinet. So now she starts stealing her mom's medication and also robo tripping on robotism and stuff. And it gets dark before it gets light. For sure. Yeah. And that's all to say, I'm, I'm spoiling everything, but please watch Next to Normal. Don't just take all my words for it. But basically, it all comes to a head where Diana is like, maybe I've lost it at last. Maybe my last lucid moment has passed. I'm dancing with death, I suppose, but maybe who knows? And then I think Natalie's like, you know, if you can't give me a life that's normal, maybe somewhere next to normal would be okay. Yeah, somewhere next to normal. That's how they'll get by. And it and it comes to a head too where Diana makes the decision that, so anyway, I'm leaving. I thought you'd like to know. And breaks Dan's heart, I think. And then you find out at the very last, like second to last scene, that maybe Diana is not the only one that's been holding on to Gabe for all these years. Like, I don't even think we know his name the whole play. There's one point where Diana's like, what was his name? What was his name? Name, 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 name. What was his name? What was his name? What was his name? Ah! And Dan wouldn't say it. But then in this climactic moment, Diana leaves. Dan is sad. Then Gabe comes over to him. He's like, Cause I'm holding on and I won't let go. And he goes, Gabe, Gabriel. And he goes, hi, dad. And you're like, whoa. I don't know. When I saw that, I thought that was like a big moment. Yeah. Because Gabe also says earlier in the play that you can't leave me until you grieve me. So you won't leave me like this haunting version of me until you've grieved me. Dan hasn't even opened up that moment, that start of the grieving process. So at first I thought, "Uh uh-oh, the ghost of Gabe is going to haunt Dan now. But I think that actually is the first moment 
he has to let Gabe back in so he can recover. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but like I said, I watch it so many times that I'm like trying to suss it out for myself. I'm like, what is Gabe? Is he real? Is he a ghost? Is he just their grief manifested? There's lots of ways you can interpret it. Mm -hmm. And then finally, they sing the finale, which this song used to be at the beginning and the end, but they cut it from the beginning. But you could kind of hear in the prelude. Dun, 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 dun. It's kind of like the introduction to this song. And so they're all like, we need some light. This also is a song that makes you cry because gradually throughout the song, it starts in complete darkness and they lift all the lights, all the shades, all the eyes, everything that we've been seeing on the house gets lifted up and they open the setup. And then these floodlights, there will be light. And the light goes on the audience. And if you've had an emotional experience throughout the show, that gives you permission to kind of let it all out and you cry. Or at least I do, you know? And I just think you can compare this show to any situation. The perfect family is not really a thing, you know, so you could relate to it that way. Or anybody in your life that suffers from any kind of mental health issue in general, the gamut A to Z, you can understand, like, if it's you or if it's someone else in your family, you're like, yeah, this is relatable. And I think it was, I don't know, one of the first modern musicals to kind of tackle these tough subjects so it kind of stood out to me as something new and different and not just your Oklahoma musical I mean I really liked it I I like that we are creating new musicals with like meanings that are more important to us now as opposed to just revamping up the old like and redoing Oklahoma and shows like that where it's like it should just be left alone because it's not it doesn't have current modern day meaning and so I like that we're doing musicals about things that are actually like current issues like mental health is obviously not just a current issue but it is being talked about more and more now so it's good to normalize that yeah yeah I really like the musical and I like the rock opera like I like that it was like more rockier music instead of like your traditional Broadway like slow ballads and stuff oh yeah Yeah, it's really good well, wonderful. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's hard to say like, oh, I just really had a good time watching it because that's not necessarily the journey you took, but right. it, it was it's still a lot of emotions. A lot of emotions. <laughs> it's still enjoyable, you know, uh, because for the theater arts that people enjoy to partake of, sometimes that is the experience, the cathartic like mm-hmm. journey of emotions. And then even though the ending is kind of sad, you think, oh no, Diana and Dan are not going to be together, but maybe they will, maybe they won't. Maybe that was the answer. Maybe they shouldn't have rushed into their marriage and tried to fix their grief by having another baby. You know, there's lots of questions and answers that it brings up. And like you said, only now in what, 2021, have these, you know, mental health issues been like brought up in the zeitgeist in the past few years so i would say next to normal was trying to normalize it ahead of the you know the trend if you will before it's time 
yeah, again, another one of these groundbreaking shows. No wonder people like it. I just haven't seen a community theater that can like do it justice. It's tough. That's a tough role. And like big songs, big songs, big shoes to fill. And I think the songs do give you vocal damage, like honestly, because mm-hmm. they perform them eight days a week. And Alice Ripley went on the road too. So a lot of times she was like re- really scaling back her voice, like, and it, especially on parts where another actor was singing with her, she like toned it way down. She didn't want to like throw her voice out more and more and you don't want to overpower whoever else is on stage with you not at all if if you're not supposed to exactly so the thing i was going to mention one is have you heard of schmigadoon i don't think so do you have apple plus or access to an apple plus account okay so this is some homework schmigadoon is an apple plus original tv show where Cecily Strong from SNL and Keegan-Michael Key from Key and Peele find themselves in quite literally a magical musical land. They're just normal people from our real world and they walk into the woods over a bridge and they're in Schmigadoon. And all the people there are straight out of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Oklahoma, Brigadoon, Carousel, and they have to navigate their way through being in a musical. So I think that would be fun to cover, if not as like a full episode, at least like watch all of them when they come out and then talk about the whole experience. That would be fun. Okay. But great. yeah, that's, that's coming up. But then the very next musical, I have another podcasting partner friend called Crystal Tucker. And she, has a favorite musical called Company. It's a Sondheim show. And I feel like we can't do this musical podcast, this Broadway baby musical maniac podcast, without introducing some Sondheim into the mix. Perfect. So she would like to introduce us both. I mean, I've seen it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. She wants to bring that, one of her favorite musicals, to us to re- review and talk about. And there's a couple versions that are available. The version she really likes is the 2007 Raul Esparza one, but I told her there's also a Neil Patrick Harris one, so Mm-mm. maybe we watch both. Okay. And I'm al- in my way. Yeah, also it's coming back to Broadway. It had just opened on Broadway and then yeah. pandemic hit. So good times. <laughs> good times. It's coming back and what's interesting about this new version is Bobby, who is traditionally played by a male performer is now a female Bobby. I love that. Yeah. So we'll watch the version that's more traditional and then we'll talk about the new vision with female Bobby, which is cool. Yeah, for sure. All right. That's all I have to say, but I recommend Next to Normal and then that's what we're going to try to plan on doing next time. Sounds great. Thank you. Uh, I guess by audience. Bye. They're the perfect loving family, so adoring. And I love them every day of every week. So my son's a little shit, my husband's boring. And my daughter, though a genius, is a freak. 
and still I help them love each other. Father, mother, sister, brother, cheek to cheek. Natalie, it's four in the morning. Is everything okay? Everything's great. Why wouldn't it be great? It's great. Honey, you need to slow down. Take some time for yourself. I'm gonna have sex with your father. Great, thanks. I'm so glad I know that. So it's times like these I wonder how I take it. And if other families live the way we do. If they love each other or if they just fake it. And if other daughters feel like I feel too. Cause some days I think I'm dying. But I'm really only trying to get through For just another day For another stolen hour Where the world could feel my power And obey It's just another day Feeling like I'll live forever Feeling like this feeling never goes away For just another day When it's up to you to hold your house together A house you built with patience and with care But you're grappling with that gray and rainy weather And you're living on a latte and a prayer Can you keep the cup from tipping? Can you keep your grip from slipping in despair? For just another day In the hustle and the hurry You wanna wipe your worry clean away For just another day I will keep the plates all spinning With a smile so white and winning all the way Cause what doesn't kill me doesn't kill me So fill me up for just another day It only hurts when I breathe, it only hurts when I try It only hurts when I think, it only hurts when I cry It only hurts when I work, it only hurts when I play it only hurts when I move, it only hurts when I say It's just another day And the morning sun is stunning and you wish that you were running far away It's just another day Birds are singing, things are growing And you wish that you could be going, but you stay And for my family's sake I'll take what I can take And only just awake Every day is just another And another and another I will hold it all together We're the perfect loving family If they say we're not, then fuck them They're the perfect loving family I will keep the plates all spinning And the world just keeps on spinning I think the house is spinning